HG World presents The Googies, Chapter 11. Imagine being alone in the wilderness, out in the rain, wearing the clothes you pulled off of dead men just to keep from freezing. You slow to a shuffle, your brain burns. You can't think of nothing but food. You ain't even afraid of the eaters no more. You worry about the wolves and other hungry sets of jaws and claws out there. Sometimes you get so bad off you think you might be one of the walking dead yourself and didn't know when you crossed over. Ever been out in the rurals, boy? I mean, where there's not a goddamn light brighter than the moon and stars? Where treetops and hillsides are just shafts of black reaching up around you? Like you're sitting in the palm of some dark god's hand? There was that national power outage a few years back. But my town had solar backups, so we were only in the dark for like a few minutes. <laughs> oh, I remember that. What a bunch of whiners. Like it was a national tragedy. All of a sudden, you start noticing the things around you you take for granted. It's like when you drive somewhere a hundred times, past the same off-ramps to little villages, and never pay time any mind. You're going along at 60, sometimes faster, and you see a funny name like Living's Hollow or, or uh, Bunglicksville. And you take just a second to wonder what life is like for people living so far from anything you think's important. I can't imagine being out of contact with anyone for any length of time. The world is just so connected. It's Then one time, your ride breaks down, or you blow a tire like Barbara and I did, and suddenly you're there in West Fumblebuck, PA, and you can't call the auto club. Suddenly, Fumblebuck sounds mighty cosmopolitan. When you run Interstate 81 North, you don't really think about the long stretches of nowhere you pass through. You don't realize that it's a long way in any direction through a real wilderness before you get anywhere that might be helpful. And you get stuck. You got nowhere to go but where the map tells you. And the map lies. Lies worse than women. So, you were on the road with Barbara. You'd just left the Slim Shimmer Amusement Park with Dr. Van Hawken's laptop. It was nice having company on the road. Sad to leave McGinnis and company behind, but they seemed to attract attention and gunfire. Barbara had one of those military laptops, and my, her hands just flew over the keyboard. She was dumping all of her thoughts into that laptop as quick as she could while the memories of all that happened in Slim Shimmer's house of horrors was still fresh. I didn't want to interrupt her. I just kept looking over at her face in the glow of her monitor, mouthing the words her eyes were following across the screen. Shearer! Shit. Stop playback. 
I'm still working. Open this door. You won't pick up your extension. You are on deadline, boy. I know. I'm working on the final part. Have I mentioned how important this cast is for this feed? To your continued success at this station? Open this door now. I want to see what you've got so far. Finally, I... Oh, merciful saints, Shearer. Smells like eaters in here. And all these notes all over your walls. What did Ken Peters do to you, boy? He... He really got inside your head, didn't he? What have you got under this tarp? You take a painting and you're... Whoa. What the hell is that monstrosity? It's a reproduction of a 16th century engraving by Albrecht Dürer. It's hideous. What is it doing in your production suite? Ken Peters gave it to me. He said it reminds him of what it felt like being out on the road with the eaters. It's called Night, Death, and the Devil. The print is actually much bigger than the original engraving. <laughs> Can you believe every millimeter of this etching was done by hand? You know that this kind of art is not welcome. Anything macabre or dark is... And this is very both of those things. Look beyond the subject matter. Look at the detail and the realism of the knight's tired face. The blades of grass and the contours of the castle off in the distance. The way the knight's lance weighs on his shoulder as he leads his horse past the embodiments of temptation and misery. Take it home. I don't want to see that sort of filth here. It's ugly. The world's had enough ugly. He says this is a reminder of what really lives behind every airbrush smile and all the pastel-painted facades along Main Street. You're talking heresy, son. You've gotten too close to your subject, and he's rubbed off on you. That's the point. We inherited a world he helped make. He helped save. We never talked about him until Eater showed up in Denver. We wouldn't make any note of his death if that hadn't happened. And wanted to cash in on a sudden interest in all things about necroambulates. If he died a year ago or next year, he wouldn't care. That's my point. This story needs to be told now, while people really do care, while those wounds are still open and weeping. And you need to tell it. Look, everybody made choices back then. My own dad, younger than I am now, made a choice to leave my mom behind and drag me and my sister over 600 miles of infected land to a safe place. This ain't just a feed boost or scam to get hits on the site. We all got some ghost that'll rise up because of what you have here in digital. You got two hours to air. Make it count. I'm putting the first three parts out live and on time. If this part ain't done on time, you and me are going to be working the lake scouring the bottom for waterlogged eaters. Get me? Yes, sir. Thank you. Look up Joe. Who? Jojovich. J-O-J-O-V-I-C-H. 
there are a few links. The first is of Brother Montcastle, hyperlinked Sister Joe. She has others under General Ying of the Happy Valley Militia. That's it. Bringing up the first entry. Hmm, I don't understand. Wait a minute. She wasn't supposed to be at Ying's site. They didn't know she was there, did they? According to this, Brother Montcastle assigned her to the farm shortly before you arrived there. She was a conjugal caregiver. Strange, since she is a sister of the Order, the only female in the Brotherhood. Anything there about being a prophet? Some supernatural mojo jojo? Nothing I can access. It looks like these records were put in after the United Nations team was overrun by the Brotherhood. Wait, here's a link to her legacy history. It is a patient file. Natalina Jojovich Blavatsky. Several aliases are listed. Registered at the laboratory since spring, the very beginning. She was transferred in from... What the hell is all that stuff? Please keep driving and I will keep reading. Sure, lady. Sure. Initially, catalog code 295.1 as manifesting hyperphonic... Oh, the file is in Russian. The file notes code 310.1. Hold on. Dr. Van Hawkins is listed as one of the consultants on the case. Wait, this makes no sense. Four months ago, she was recoded in the system 2900.1a. None of that stuff means anything to me. According to Van Hawkins' notes, she arrived at the resort Catatonic, which is not unusual. Traumatic breakdowns were common among refugees. If they could not be revived soon after arriving, they did not survive long. I'm afraid a lot of those patients ended up shipped directly to Makwe Resort. But Natalina Jojovich Blavatsky woke shortly after reaching the site. She tried to escape a triage unit but was restrained. She was recoded 310.1 because she kept referring to herself by different names with different languages. Maybe they mean accents because personality changes don't present new skills unless they were learned while the patient was immersed in that personality. That's Joe. She knows a lot of languages. But then she was transferred to Van Hawkins for a week. I didn't know he was at Mockway. Doesn't surprise me. He returned her with a different medical diagnosis. Hey, I thought he wasn't really a doctor. And a psych code of 290.1a, which is dementia as a result of his diagnosis of hyperprionic spongiform encephalopathy. And, oh, assimilative immune necrosis. Don't make me stop this truck. Can you translate that into semi-stupid and exhausted, please? She has a disease that is eating her brain. Well, that makes some sense. And she is infected with eater blood. Don't you see? She has dementia that is the result of prions attacking her brain. But she didn't have the condition before Van Hawkins tested on her. And she has the infection that turns people into the walking dead. It is 100% fatal. She should not be functioning. But she is. Maybe the codes are wrong. No, the research is here too. Brother Montcastle corroborated the diagnosis. I don't understand how this person could possibly be alive. Trust me, Barbara, she is. And she's headed back to Mockway. Poor Joe. Nobody knew where she came from. Except she was in Russia at some point, lost her daughter, went catatonic, and wound up as a lab rat in some United Nations refugee camp. 
At some point, our man Reginald Van Hawkins showed up and either saw something the size of my nurse's ass that everybody else missed, or he infected her. Infected her? But why? Remember, I met Hawkins working on teenage test subjects in his lab. What I didn't know at the time was that he was trying out different ways to counteract or delay the effect of whatever it was turning people into eaters. He was trying everything from the common cold virus to Clorox. Before he got shoved out to Slim Shimmer's camp, he had access to live human subjects at the Mockway Resort. Joe, probably because no one knew her and she was likely just to get tossed into a mass grave with veins full of morphine anyway, was given the human version of mad cow disease and P-A-I-N. If she had either one by itself, she'd die a painful, no, excruciating death in days. But somehow, shooting her up with both kept her alive, even controllable. Controllable. All that stuff about Joe's mental state, ghosts about a world somewhere else, she was hypnotized and programmed like the kids I first met at the resort. She came back from Hawkins infected, but alive. They called her a priestess, a sister of the order, a prophet of things to come. They gave her a new name, Doralcha. Who's that? Nothing more than Pulp Fiction. The yellow sign, an inhabitant of Carcosa. Yeah, I read a lot of those old stories after the war ended. Scary stories about alien monsters from other dimensions, distant worlds with oceans of glass. Monsters that don't journey to heaven, but are transported to planets where they're trapped by the gods that once lived on ours. Deraltia is a character in a story by Robert W. Chambers called The Priestess Among the Ruins. It explained to me why she had all those books around at the resort. I heard stories about people on drugs freaking out over books. Like the words come to life for them. Crazy people just lose their shit reading A Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings and think they're on some fucking quest to return some enchanted dildo to a frost giantess on Mount Fuckami. It was brilliant, though. Because the eaters were getting smarter, learning to use the brains of their hosts, scientists tried everything they could think of to control them. By making the eater part of her brain think that it was a dark priestess or, or part of a plan to eat all brains, they succeeded in controlling an eater. At least partly. The rest of Joe was just all messed up by their work. Which is why she defied the Brotherhood, I thought you said. She did, until Shepard Gorman began spreading his infection to his choice of brothers. That's when the Reformed Brotherhood was born. She led me away from that site to find an army, rescue other test subjects from Ying's camp, then from her creator, Van Hawkins. 
Then she led me back to confront the monsters controlling it all. Barbara went on with the details, writing everything important into a notepad. She translated some of the stuff for me. We made our way at a good clip until the sun dropped behind the mountains. The northeast corridor of Interstate 81 was pretty grisly, even during the day. I convinced Barb it was a good idea to take an exit ramp, and we made camp at Big Daddy's gas and repair shop outside Appalachian Armpit, PA. We had some stale snacks for lunch, loaded up on coffee beans, beef jerky, and, and raided their parts closet. We parked our ride inside the garage in its only empty bay, next to an old black cargo van that looked like the one they had on the A-Team. I know, it's before your time. Well, it had more room, and since the mess under the hood said it wasn't going nowhere, we were able to power the laptop off its battery and bundle ourselves up in the back. If the eaters showed up, we'd hear about it with enough time to load back into our truck and roll through anything blocking our way back to the highway. It was cozy. The only downside was that neither of us had showered in probably a week. But for some reason, Barbara didn't seem to mind. What was Barbara like? <laughs> Balamani Sarasaravath. Or some kind of shit. I can't remember. Quite the charmer. Uh, she went on talking about prions and metagens and a bunch of things I probably wouldn't have understood even if she spoke perfect English. <laughs> but she was pretty to look at. Even if it's just in the glow of her laptop screen. She had these big brown eyes you see on Disney characters and the kind of lips that would move a lonely man to distraction. Which, uh, being a lonely man in the back of a van, well, you know. Um, well, she and I had a nice little supper of canned something and, and she kept me entertained with fun facts about Joe and the Brotherhood. Oh my, this is amazing. What is it? I'm reading through Dr. Logan's notes inside Dr. Hawkins' folder. What was Dr. Logan working on? Training in domestication. Oh, I was hoping you'd say like angry birds making eaters into pets. Really? Not quite. More like beasts of burden. He was trying to pacify them and teach them basic tasks. Huh. Beasts of burden. Tell you what, Barbara, I'm going to turn in. Tell me a story while I try to sleep off some of the highway. Of course. As the condition is passed from one host to another, it learns more and more. Dr. Logan thought that eventually, all of these monsters would be able to take over a living body before it died. So in other words, these dead things would no longer be dead. They'd be... what? Viruses in human suits? Reverend Savini was the perfect test case. Stone dead, but somehow his brain remained intact. The sample infection showed to be so different than the samples tested by the CDC that they were almost a different species. A million years of evolution in 18 months. So why aren't they all like that? Maybe... Like some people are gifted, perhaps some colonies of infection are more responsive and adaptable than others. Like the Mozart of walking corpses. 
or we might have made it worse by keeping people alive in hospitals for weeks before they finally expired, giving the infection time to learn more about its host. Who knows? Hawkins was testing on eaters in the lab right before he left. What was he working on if he just planned to torch it all and run? It looks more like he was trying to torture the things than cure them. Still, there is a lot of data here about how the condition advances. Perhaps we can build on his work. What was that? Something is on the roof. I don't think so. The wind blew over a ladder, probably leaves or something up there. I checked. There's no way in from the roof. Relax. Relax your grip, anyway. I don't mind the contact, but you're gonna leave a bruise on my thigh. Sorry. I suppose you're right. So, anything on that USB drive making more sense? Some. According to Dr. Hawkins, test subject Bluto? Three months ago, a quantity of chlorozylanol and hyperleukin-19 introduced to the subject's hippocampus. Whoa, whoa, easy there. All I heard was putting a Clorox xylophone in, in some dude's hippo. Translate? Hyperleukins are synthesized chemicals used to counteract various brain disorders. They were just experimental, but no one thought there'd be any harm to people who were going to die with assimilative immunonecrosis anyway. I have no idea what the chlorozylanol has to do with it, but the result is that the eater stops reproducing, becomes inert. Dr. Hawkins was unable to reproduce the experiment because he did not have sufficient amounts of the material to try again. Easy there, water. Hello, little girl. You said there was no way in. Sarge! Remind me never to ask you to secure a perimeter, Kenneth. Who is she? What does she want? Two bedrooms, big bathroom, economy kitchen with a pass-through to a nice area for entertaining. Maybe an ocean view? Was that too much? What are you doing, Ken? I expected you to at least try to outdraw me. Where's your weapon? Uh, how the hell did you find us? Didn't you know? I'm Batman. What? I always wanted to be Batman. You know that Batwoman, the new one? It's partly based on me. True story. She's okay, Barbara. Honest. Honestly, Barbara, Ken and and Barbie in their luxury service station, so nice. Needs more pink. What the hell are you doing here? Dr. Vesta, he gave me a map to Spooky Castle in the mountains. Figured you'd take this route. I ran into a little trouble a few miles back and figured it was way too cold outside for me just to sit out there watching you two get all warm and cozy. Hmm. It looks real warm and cozy in there. Maybe I cozy up with you and your chew. Barbara, this is Sarge. Obviously in her manic part of her manic depression. But still good people. Hello. You must be freezing. Come in. So why are you here? Honestly? McGinnis wants Joe contained somehow. See, he and Grant got to thinking about how you, Bombay Barbie over here, and Psycho Joe were all heading in the same direction. And the more Doc looks into the lab research, the more we're convinced the three of you are either about to do something profoundly stupid or are in league with some invisible bad guys. 
What are you talking about? Dr. Hawkins tried to kill me. Yes, well, that does lead me towards thinking you're going to Makwe to be very stupid. There are survivors there. Everything Barbara tells me and everything we've seen makes me think Joe is part of something... Um, I don't know. They messed with the girl's head, made her think she's some prophet. But Hawkins did something to her that makes her useful to the Brotherhood. You mentioned something about the dead talking and thinking? Phase four necroambulance. The natural progression of pervasive assimilative immunonecrosis into the human consciousness and All the- right, all right, just stop right there because my brain has just maxed out. I need to reboot. <sighs> Meanwhile? I'll trade you a field blanket for a can of whatever you got. There's a bag up in the front passenger seat with fresh water and beef jerky. Excellent. What's it like out there? Sucks. You sure you want to keep going? It's only gonna get worse. Of course. I get why you're going back there, Peters. But what about you, Barbie? The way I heard it, you couldn't wait to get out of the amusement park. How come you grew a stupid and want to go there now? It's where all the research everyone is conducting resides. It may be where Dr. Hawkins is heading. If anything, there is a chance we could learn something and fight back. And you really believe that, kid? No. But sometimes you must pursue the noble end despite knowing it to be a lost cause. (laughs) (laughs) Was that Gandhi? Dr. Irv Schlovel, my graduate advisor. Right. All right. Okay, then. (laughs) Here's to Dr. Schlovel. Oh, tell me that's hooch. Well, it was. Sorry. Night, kids. (laughs) Good night, Sarge. It was a long night. I think Barbara understood that I needed shut-eye in order to drive the next day. But the poor kid wasn't used to being outside sturdy walls. The sheer terror of it, plus the surprise visit from Sarge, just sucked every last bit of energy out of her. She didn't fall asleep so much as pass out, poor kid. I don't blame her. Me, I couldn't sleep. I was pissed that I'd missed a way into the garage, so I took a few laps around the station. Few times I heard Eater staggering by, half frozen in the night. The wind kept our scent hidden, but it also made me jump with every tap of a branch against shop glass, the snapping of a tattered flag, or a poster flapping and clacking against the wall outside. The convenience store part of the station was mostly shop glass and a front door I had to barricade by throwing a big wooden candy display in front of it funny. All the candy, all the smokes, condoms, tools, and stuff were gone. But the open register was loaded. The safe under the counter locked. I could get behind the counter and get a good view of the pumps and street. I missed a slump laying up against the diesel pump. He wasn't a threat because his lower half was just a smear on the concrete. And he only had one arm. But I was getting more upset by the things I was missing right in front of me. 
The clouds were hustling pretty fast across the sky, and while I couldn't see the moon, its light shifted and swelled and faded like the beam of an inconsistent searchlight. At one point, the moonlight rose like a theater spot on this withered old woman in a light-colored tracksuit walking up the road in her bare feet. Her wig was bloody and shifted to one side. She moved slow, with her right arm dragging behind her, pulling her top half backward as her bottom half kept her moving on down the road. I soon realized this was because she was dragging an anchor behind her, specifically a small ball of bloody fur. Not sure if it was a big cat or a small dog or someone's wild toupee, but, but she kept a hand on that leash and soon disappeared into the shadows. Next thing I knew, the sky was the color of a good punch to the face, and I could smell coffee. Coffee. Christ, it was the most amazing smell. Grounds from the service station's break room, boiling over a field burner. There's a whole patch of travel I don't remember, except for being told that I'd said the same thing four times, forgotten what I'd been told or whatever. Driving 18 hours under constant stress, without thought of eating and having to be reminded to drink, second and third guessing every little decision. You gotta understand that was life on the road for most people in those days, and I had just come around to that experience. I kept up my game face. Well, I tried to. I expected Sarge to be the one riding shotgun, be the one watching the hillsides and tree lines, while I made sure we didn't hit a twist of metal or a corpse in the road at 40 miles an hour. But despite passing out immediately after her mouth full of scotch and sleeping through the night, Sarge curled up in the back and went right out again. I was a little pissed about it at the time, but since then, I realized how hard this woman must have had it out in the cold. While we were playing Dungeons and Gunslingers inside an amusement park, she was hoofing it in the cold, eating dried beef sticks and sleeping with one eye open in mud holes. She earned a few extra hours in the warm without having to worry about hands and arms and teeth. By the time I hit the Makwe Mountain Preserve, I was feeling like Dr. Vesta, all wound up and unable to release. It helped a little not having the kids with us, or the second van. Part of that's the natural paranoia. No, that ain't right. Um, it's a natural heightened state of alert and tension, and fear, and an exquisite mental and physical exhaustion just at that cusp of becoming as useful and thoughtful as your average eater. Well, the closer we got to the resort, the more treacherous and narrow the single lane was. Snow and ice are sloppy, but drift and wet leaves are worse. Barbara couldn't hide inside her notebook without killing the battery again, so she kept watch on the trees and out the back to see if we were flushing eaters out of the woods. 
we were doing 15, sometimes 20 miles an hour on steep grades. And I watched the oil temp gauge climb and the fuel gauge fall. I was pretty sure we had enough juice to get where we needed, but we'd need a fresh squeeze to get out again. For the last 10 miles, there was no chatter, just the hum of the road, the growing knock of a worn engine climbing steep grades, and the crackle of bone in my neck from the tension of craning my neck around each new bend and up each steep rock face. When we reached the sign marking the entrance to the old Makwe Hotel complex, I pulled as far off the road as I could and let go of the steering wheel for the first time in hours. We needed to take a breath, get a sense of things, or put our heads back on straight. Stay frosty, as Major Grant might say. As soon as the engine stopped, Sarge was up and already alert. Okay, ready to go. Where are we and where are we going? Morning, sunshine. (laughs) The relocation center and laboratories are up that road, but we're meeting Mifflin and his refugees up this hill and on top of Makwe Mountain. Here's a tourist map. I marked it. The old stone keep is a fire tower, like a lighthouse for park rangers who... Yeah, look out for forest fires. It's a five-mile hike. You two up for that? Of course. You sure? Because I don't think you had a lot of chance for some good cardio stuck in that lab of yours for so many months. You're skinny as a rail, girl. I will be fine. Trust me. I don't need a gun and a bad attitude to be tough. Fair enough. We'd burn most of the day getting to the hiking trail. I didn't want to camp out in the car on the road, and the only other site, even remotely secure, was at the end of the trail. Besides that, I couldn't shake the feeling that it had all gone wrong already. Part of me couldn't think of any good reason why the bad guys didn't just eat their hostages and go out looking for more. What did they need from Joe that was so important? Why was I so damned important to their plan? Maybe they already knew Joe wasn't coming back. The road kept my mind off those things, but the trail, that's when my brain started working hard. We were traveling slow but steady. Any hungry eater had a chance to hear us and wander out onto the trail from the trees. But it wouldn't be so easy for them to navigate the steep slopes on either side of the trail without us noticing. We came across a couple of bodies in the woods, but we didn't take the time to investigate them. They weren't the kind of dead you had to worry about. After checking my little map three times, Sarge asked if I wanted her to take point. She was sharper and didn't need the map to find our objective. That put me at the back of the party and alone with my thoughts. At one point, Sarge stopped and signaled for us to stop and get low. She stood on a high point of a hill and looked around, her rifle barrel up and ready to drop. After a long minute of straining to see or hear something from my position, she signaled an all-clear and directed us down along a deer path into a more rocky and steep route down. 
Once on the eastern side and hidden from the sun, I had to button up again. In shadow, the trail was harder to follow. I was too busy staying upright to see where Sarge was headed, but I could smell wood smoke on the breeze and something else that had my stomach grumbling for something more than jerky. Barbara and I both had trouble keeping our feet, but we came out into a clearing without seriously fucking ourselves up. I guess we reached the camp in time for dinner. I hope that's venison I smell, or rabbit, or... Just shut it, Ken. Look. Coming around the corner and out of the trees, I expected to see dirty, patched-up tents and folding chairs. I expected to see little black kettles suspended over small campfires and tired, hungry people making the best of it. I expected to see men building things, or women fixing shit up, or giving lessons to little children with haunted eyes, and, and everything happening around a roaring fire. Of course, it all made sense when I looked up and saw them. The men, the women, and the children were all there. But they were in the fire. I didn't count bodies. I counted layers. I can't remember how big it was. In my memory, it felt like the whole mountain. The bodies were thrown into a pile on top of a bed of limbs and branches. Broken fence posts. Anything else that could burn. Even some shit that wouldn't. It wasn't an impressive pillar of flame, either. It barely covered all the remains. It lapped at the bodies, tasting rather than consuming the dead. We got closer, and I saw that there were still three or four bodies on the grass surrounding the bonfire. A trail of blood and crushed grass showed how the bodies were moved and thrown onto the pyre. Each of the remaining bodies took one shot to the forehead and signs they'd been chewed up pretty good by the eaters before then. I stood in the heat given off by the burning dead and considered for just a moment how wonderful it would feel to just rush up to the fire and leap into it. And then a strong hand crossed my shoulders and a warm body drew close to me. Sarge put her chin on my shoulder. Instinctively, I put an arm around her waist. That's what you do at a funeral. Who were these people? Lab rat. What? These are people the Happy Valley Militia brought here from shelters. Strong backs. Fertile, strong women. Kids. They left with Mifflin. They were waiting for me to bring help. I'm sorry, not for nothing, but if not for you, a lot of other people wouldn't be alive. In war, you do not get to save everyone. You understand that, right? People are gonna die. 
everyone dies, you know? I'm angry that I got sidetracked. I'm angry that... Shh. Don't fucking shush me, lady. I... Listen. 11 o'clock. Up 20 degrees. Stationary. About 20 yards out. I don't hear nothing but burning. I heard it about five minutes ago. He's not stalking us. He's checking to see if we're hostile. Who's he? I don't see nothing. Barbara, stay close. Footfalls are male. Boots, not military. The hesitation I hear isn't that of a hunter, but of a civilian. Probably wounded. Critically. Certainly scared. Trying to stay out of sight, or tripping over his own rifle. How the hell do you... Never mind. What's your plan? We stay out here in the firelight so we can be seen. I don't want to spook him, and I certainly don't want to get shot at. I also don't want to shout and call attention to anyone else. And Ken... Yeah? When I say shh, what I really mean is shut the fuck up so I can work. Fair enough. Hold it right there. We've got you surrounded. Mifflin! No. There is no we. I know. Mifflin! It's me, Ken Peters! Uh, no. We thought she was coming here to find you. Who is that with you? Friends. What happened here? They're all gone, Ken. All of them. They came in the night. Who did? Brother Moncastle and the Brotherhood. Some volunteered to go back to the lab, hungry and sick they were. Others put up a fight. Then the eaters came. I don't know how many escaped. Where's your boy, Mifflin? Where's Tate? Damn it! This can't be all of them. Can it? I don't have anyone left that has the strength to hold up a finger to point, much less shoot. Look, it's getting dark. The eaters are going to herd up and try and get to this fire. I don't think Barbara's doing very well either. Keep an eye on her. Mifflin, we've got to get away from here. Do you have a shelter? Can you make it to the keep? Episode 11 starred James Baxter as Ken and Brian Lincoln as Mark, featuring Julie Hoverson as Balamani Sarasvatsi, M. Sierra Garcia as Sarge, Dave Robison as the editor, and Bruce Busby as Mifflin. The episode was written by Jay Smith, show running and editing by Brian Lincoln, sound effects, sound design, mixing, and mastering by Michael L. Stokes. Musical direction by Michael L. Stokes. Featuring original music by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. HG World is a production of 3015 North Studios under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. For more information, visit www.goodmorningsurvivors.com. <laughs>